Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. A music Therapy is a show that I made to put some uh, awareness and some um, attention on mental health issues during this time uh, with a special focus on the mu music and creative communities. Um, if you want to know more about music therapy or anything about you know my music or my background, you can visit jessicarisker.com. Today I'm really excited. I have Natalie Shamion um, of Tao Sounds. She's going to be joining us in just a second. Um, but first, I'm just going to do a quick introduction here. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. And um, if you want to look at some past episodes, I've had some really good guests on lately. I had Coleman Bryce of Coles. I had uh, Sullivan Davis of The Hideout. I've got um, Britt Julius, who is a uh, journalist for the Chicago Tribune. She was on recently um, in not next Saturday, but the following Saturday, I'm going to be having Sarah Jane Quillen on um, of Desert Liminal, and really excited to talk to her. So thank you guys for joining. Um, let's see. It's a podcast. Music There is a podcast, so you can go on to uh, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you don't prefer to watch it this way or on YouTube, but it is also on YouTube after the interviews are done. So there's all kinds of ways to watch past episodes. This is episode number 39. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in and kind of supporting it. Um, and I'm going to play a song after our, we're done with our interview, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. I don't need to talk anymore. So let's see. Let's get, let's get Natalie on. Natalie, can you request to, to join? Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You can hear me okay? Yes. Thank you for... Can you hear me okay? I have this like propped on my couch, so I don't know if... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can. Um, thank you for doing the show. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you too. Um, it's been like well, years, I think, since I've actually seen you. I know. Um, yeah, that's what I really feel like if you were to analyze my purpose for doing this show, it's just a way to like, it's just my oh, fancy way of being able to talk to people. Hang yeah. out with me. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, well, let's, I guess let's jump right in. Um, I was kind of like to orient, um, you know, the, the idea of the show being to kind of, it's pretty open, but to give a sense of just kind of where, where you're at and how things have been for you. So to kind of orient us, like what have the past few months look like for you? What does what your day-to-day -day look like? It's changed month to month, I think. Um, you mean since quarantine, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah. I think in um, March, I was still teaching. So March through May, I was still teaching um, at the high school where I teach. So that was kind of nice to have some set schedule. Uh -huh. I think I like built a routine where I had more time to like exercise. It was like I had my regular schedule still happening, but I had more time for myself too. So like exercise that was happening every day was just a longer amount of time. Teaching was a smaller amount of time, I think, but it was, um, you know, adjusting to remote learning and like figuring out how to okay. department through that. Um, and so then, when did that, when did that happen? The switch to remote learning for you? Um, March, like the middle of March. Okay, so when it was in person, you had more time, more balance. In person, more balance? When you were teaching in person, is that what you're saying? You had no, more I would balance? say the opposite. I think I have more balance not being oh, in person. Okay. You know, being at home, having 
that flexibility of like uh -huh. not having to run to the school building and the commute. And actually we're teaching less hours when we went into remote initially because CPS wasn't doing like a required remote learning. So it was uh -huh. all optional. So we only met per class like once a week versus every single day. So there was more time. But I was also like working on um, my record that came out in May. So uh -huh. that was like a big chunk of time, but that was happening regardless. And then uh, the other thing I was working on was this film. So that was like the first two months of quarantine were kind of hectic. So everybody was like, what do I do? All these shows to watch. And I was kind of like, when can I watch the TV? Yeah, yeah. Were you still working on the music for the album or was that more of like the promotional side? Or? No, it was like promotional stuff, figuring out like, are we going to be able to hold a show? Because at that point, no one knew if venues were closing at and like what that might look like in yeah. May. Because it was scheduled for May 22nd at Constellation. And I was okay. like, hold, not hold, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just figuring out like what that might look like if we did a live stream. So. I did a live stream like right when everyone started going into quarantine. So the, mm -hmm. like in the middle of March. So I knew that was an option. So that was kind of good. Um, How did that go? How did that feel for you? The first live stream? I yeah. was like uh, very nervous about yeah. it. I think more so than, I mean, I'm usually nervous to play shows, but I think more so um, with the live stream where I was like, I've never done this before. Like yeah. people are going to be on their screens, like watching every single little thing versus like, you know, maybe being just, I don't know. That was what was going on in my head versus like being distracted by like also hanging out in the social setting. Right. Yeah. So I think it went well. It was fun. It was nice to feel like connected to people and like knowing we were still creatively figuring out a way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that brings you up to like May. Yeah. So school ended in May. Um, same and day you, as my you do work for CPS. Yeah. So my school, um, I work at Shy Arts and it's, um, it's a contract school that's part of CPS. So kids audition to get in, but then it's an arts high school mm -hmm. funded. The arts programming is funded by donors and um, the academic side of the school is funded by CPS. So. Okay. And yes, what is your... CPS, but there's like some wiggle room. What is your um, what is your role at the school? What do you do there? Um, well, I've been teaching there since 2009, uh -huh. a very long time. Uh -huh. uh, it's been my 11th year, um, and I started um, when the school opened as a music teacher, teaching like music theory and keyboard skills, which is like a class piano class. Uh -huh. um, a group piano class is what I meant to say, um, and a vocal technique class, so a group voice class. But over the years, it's switched, and now um, in the last four years, this will be my fifth year as the vocal chair, which is just, you know, the department head, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. of, of the voice students and the vocal staff. And then um, I still teach, too, and I teach music technology and vocal technique and what else am I teaching? And choir. Yeah, and choir. Yeah. Um, were those changes that you wanted? I know sometimes schools, you know, have people switch grades or whatever, and they don't necessarily want to do that. Or how much, you know, control yeah, do you yeah. have over them? Um, I definitely, like, music technology started in our fourth year of the school. So that was a class I definitely wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, I had to drop 
like a piano class, which I really loved, and I had to drop a theory class. Um, so, but I chose. I mean, I was given the opportunity to, and I accepted it. So okay. yeah, I liked that. And then the vocal chair admin position. Um, yeah, I really liked doing that too. That made me a okay. full time teacher at the school. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so okay, so let's go back to the school year ending, and then what did what have the past few months looked like for you then after the school year ended? So after the school year ended, I released my record, um, and I simultaneously was still working on composing for this documentary called Head to Head, uh -huh. um, and that kind of had a deadline of the end of May, and then we weren't quite done with it. So I was doing that primarily with the majority of my time until the beginning of July. Okay. And then I was free. <laughs> <laughs> How did that feel? Then I entered quarantine pretty much. Yeah. Um, I felt interesting. Transitions are always weird for me, but um, I think I like had one long week of doing nothing. And then, yeah, my days went back into, I visited my family, I figured out a way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, what else have I done? I'm still like organizing the new school year, so I kind of went into my more admin role. Yeah. And then time so, gets lost a little bit. <laughs> like, did, when I mean, I'm not doing something, I'm like, what, what day is it? What, I don't know. Did you did enjoy that break? Was it, sorry, um, I think there's a delay sometimes, so I don't mean to talk over you, just so you know. Um, is, did you, how did you feel about like the empty time? Did you enjoy it? Was it hard? I don't like it. Uh-huh. I usually try to keep myself busy. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've thought about what would it be like if making music was my only, um, plan and job, you know? Yeah. Versus also teaching and uh -huh. other things. I think having more things to do keeps my life more structured, which I like. I'm uh -huh. that like has anxiety and like wants to do a lot, but I don't know. I'm trying to figure out that balance to not overdo it because I do like doing things. I'm not yeah. really saying yes to things I don't like to do. Um, but yeah, I, when there's a lot of free time, I do less. So I like, yeah. I like having the pockets of structure to then be like, okay, so I know I can work on music from five to eight versus all day, all day free. Right. And I just never did it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I, that's actually something I mean, that leads directly into something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, being a teacher is being you know, you're not just a teacher. Now you're you're also doing a lot of like department stuff. Um, but I know how I know from my mom is a teacher, but also just a lot of my friends and clients are teachers. And I know how demand it's busy. It's hard. It's a lot of work. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, how you as a musician that, you know, you, you've done very well with your music and obviously you're still very active and working on it. Like, is that something that you have felt intentional about these sort of side-by-side -side careers? Something I'm thinking a lot about right now is, especially during the pandemic, is what would it be like to just like go for music only and then find yourself in this position? That would be stressful to say the least. Um, you mean without performing? And 
Yeah. Well, yeah. With, no, without, without money. I mean, without, yeah, you know. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, I mean, all <laughs> of it. So I guess one thing that, you know, I'm curious about for you is, is that a sort of a dual path that you sort of intentionally set out to do? Did it just sort of happen that way? Like, how do you think about that? Um, well, fortunately, I always wanted to be a teacher and to be uh -huh. a teacher. So I think often you'll find um, musicians going into teaching at for a source of money, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that was not the case. It was kind of the opposite. I, I always liked playing music, but I never imagined it as a career. Uh -huh. didn't it like I mean I think it also comes with the concept even having gone to school for music that was kind of a battle with my parents or my mom because you know as an immigrant family they're like you need to be a lawyer you're smart you get straight A's like go yeah. do something that will make you money in this country but I was like I just want to be a music teacher um so I, I did it they they supported it in the end and um since I started teaching at Shy Arts, which is an arts high school, I think I was actually more inspired to perform because of my surroundings. Um, I was surrounded by a bunch of musicians that were playing in different ensembles and mm -hmm. different artists doing their thing and their craft and students even being like, so what is it that you do? And I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I teach music, but I'm not really performing. So I think that's kind of the overlap when I started performing in Chicago was right around the same time in 2009 when I started teaching and that was oh. the inspiration. I don't know I and even like students have asked like would you just leave teaching like we're crazy you know um and I've always thought like if I had to make the decision between mm -hmm. teaching and performing I would definitely pick teaching what do you like about teaching I find it much more fulfilling I don't know more fulfilling yeah do you like know. performing I don't love performing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. I, I hate, like, it's funny because, like, teaching can feel like a performance in some way, but yeah. I, like, I think for some, maybe I don't. I'm just, like, hanging out with kids and, like, giving them information that I know so they can enjoy music the way I do, I think. Um, and I, like, I love choir. I love um, rehearsing classical music. Um, it's challenging. I love seeing, like, the product of rehearsal um, and then personally for performing I I don't I don't consider myself a performer I don't like performing I like making music I consider myself a musician I like playing music for myself huh. um, so yeah I, I struggle with that actually and being like why am I playing the show I'm like so stressed out all day long knowing I have to perform tonight um, I don't know why I do it I think because in some way, like the teacher in me wants to like, I, I do know that I like watching musicians that I love. And I'm like, maybe if someone likes this, this will like be a gift in some way. I don't know. Maybe that's narcissistic too, but. No, I, kinda... I, I, do you, does it get easier over time for you to perform or uh, does it always feel a little? No, I think it always feels scary. I'm pretty sure. I'm like trying to think of, I've never gone into a show being like, cool, I'm just doing my thing. Like, I'm like, all these people are here for me. Like, I don't know. It's never, yeah, I feel like I have to, uh, there's just a lot of pressure of feeling like, well, one, I'm improvising most of the time. Or uh -huh. if I'm improvising, I, 
and it was the same with classical music where I'm like, I need to do it exactly how I've envisioned it or how, how I've practiced it or how uh -huh. it's come off. Um, and all these people are watching. I don't want to let them down. There's, I don't know. Well, it's weird. And as a solo, as a soloist, particularly, which is like what I did with classical music. I played piano and solo music. I played, or, and I sang solo classical music. That's why I loved choir so much because I was like with people, but as a, as Tal sounds, as a soloist, it's terrifying for me. Has your experience, you know, with some things having a forced change with performing and album releases looking a little bit different, has that shaped the way that you think about what independent music will look like for you going forward? Like, let's say the world someday does return to normal. Has this made you think differently about any of that? Uh, no, I think like, <laughs> I mean, I still like, would I not perform in that sense? Like, have I reflected on Form that? Or write or I think, um like there's some obligation for someone that releases music to perform to sell records so i think i'll i'll still do that i think that's part of the work and i don't think we have to like if i consider being a musician as also my job like uh -huh. i'm gonna love every aspect of it and i think that's yeah. okay. so for monetizing i think i will still perform uh, it would be great okay. if I got to the point where like, I was, you know, a grouper performs like once a year or something in like four cities. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that if it was just like only four times ever and that's all you have to do. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Have you done much touring? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about touring? Um, well, I like traveling. So that's the benefit uh -huh. of it. the last few years I've toured with my friend Whitney Johnson uh -huh. near matches and uh -huh. I love bonding with her so it's kind of you know those are the things I like about it and I do like and I think touring's cool in the sense that you know it's not going to a show by yourself to perform your product but like you're at least I've always done it alongside another musician so now we're a unit and that feels a little bit yeah. better to like yeah. have the experience with somebody else Totally. Um, yeah, I don't sleep well when I travel, so, yeah. so that's like the bad part of it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I like it. I love doing it with the right people. I think that's important. Yeah, that can make a big difference for sure. Um, how do you, I'm, I'm curious about, I mean, I would, I'm trying to think of how to put it. I would assume, I mean, you know, Teachers, you can get by being a teacher, I, I think. Most people can get by being a teacher. Like as far as like, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have too many needs or too many, you don't want too big of a house or whatever. Um, yeah. But so how, you know, how is your relationship with music as a source of income? You know, it sounds like you, it's not just for you, like, if I make money, great. If I don't, you know, I have this other job that, gets me through, it does sound like your relationship with music as a source of income is something that you take seriously as a career in that way. Um, yeah, to some degree, I think um, it, 
I think of it as the investment that I'm putting into Tao Sound. So if I like recently paid a bunch of money to get a record mixed, uh-huh. um, I'm hoping that I'm also making money through Tao Sounds to um, at least fund that project. Okay. It's a weird way to think about it. Um, but I well, you kind of think of it. The, the money to like, especially because I'm not relying it on performance for my income. And I don't think I could ever do that. I don't know. I don't think it's substantial. I, I'm fascinated by the people that can do it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I also, there's a part of me that's like, there's like a performer guilt or something where it's like, why should I have people invest in the thing that I love doing? Like, that's kind of like, I don't know, or, or expect that anyway. Um, like no one has to listen to my music. No one has to go to my shows. I shouldn't rely on other people to do those, to invest in my love for my art and craft. And maybe that's fucked up, but like, that's also the reality of the situation, I think. And unless you're monetizing through like big corporate machines, like that is what we're asking for. And we don't value art in the way that we value like everything else in our culture. So like, yeah, we do that for sports. We do that for athletes. We don't do that for musicians. And I know that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think like my logical brain is like, well, you can't do that, Natalie. Um, and you don't need to because you love this other thing too. So I kind of rely on money through teaching. It is interesting though that you, I mean, you compartmentalize it, it sounds like, that you want, you think of your music as, a self-funding mechanism at least if it turns a profit great but you want it to at least pay for the production of an album or that or, kind of thing. or gear yeah totally yeah um and so you know it's not just like oh i siphoned some money off of my teaching you know income to put towards an album but i want to keep this very much its own subsidiary of natalie you know now that i can i think you know like i when i first started teaching I waited until I had saved a certain amount of money in that first year to be like okay now I can invest in a synthesizer so it uh-huh. took a really much time to like logically be like why am I investing in this craft that is just spending all my money if I mean unless you have the means but like I have a teacher's income you know it's not like I'm just splurging on right a fucking like four thousand dollar synthesizer out of nowhere right so i don't do that i still don't really do that i'm lucky that like all my instruments have been gifted or like in some way um like i one of my synths was given to me through moog for uh-huh. making that that so it's like it's a trade it's like a more i find music is more of a community um and like a hopefully cyclical thing that we're like helping each other i don't really find non-music enthusiasts investing in the craft so I i'm interested in, <laughs> i i, I kind of want to go back and maybe maybe you've said all that you have to say about it but the idea that you know you have a hard time the idea that you're you don't want to count on performing as a source of income you don't want to go in with the idea that you're sort of entitled to payment just because you're up there doing something um, that I love. You know? That you love. Yeah. Or this not is- love. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's sort of the, the assumption there. Just you're doing something. You should not be paid for something that you love. 
Well, not in, like I said, like athletes get paid for that. It's just the thing that I love that maybe no one else thinks is that important. And I think you can roll with society. Like I teach music to build that, you know, culture to make people realize how important it is to us. But you're not, if in the end society doesn't value it, I'm not like gonna rely on everybody else to give me their money so I can do the thing that I love. What about know. teaching, though? It sounds like you love teaching, and it feels, it feels comfortable to get paid for that. And the government pays for people to go to school and thinks it's valuable to some degree. You know, it's not the highest yeah. paying income, but the, the finances are there to some aspect where I can rely on that. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that people shouldn't get paid for what they love, but, like, it's also you know, feeling out the zone, like what, how, where is the money in this business and and the things that we choose to do and like being realistic? Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like, you know, I I think that there are, without going too far into it, you know, it does feel like there's a lot of people that expect that just because they are doing it, they should be paid. I personally don't have that relationship. I'm, I feel lucky if I get some money from music. Right. I'm not, I'm not gonna make it my primary source of income by any means. Um, it's not my motivating factor. Um, so I get it. I just wanted to flesh out your thoughts on that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like hope that people can still have jobs and get paid for the things that they love. Like, absolutely. Like the other, the job that I have is something that I ultimately love is my number one love. So, um, it's cool to make the thing you love get you money but unfortunately as a performer it's really hard to do that it is hard um yeah yes i i agree it's it's hard to think of well this isn't to be discouraging for me it's always been hard no yeah exactly yeah i mean it's it's hard for me to think of it as like a lifelong thing like i don't know if i want to be like 65 and on the road some people would love that i think but yeah um you know and that's I don't know. There's all kinds of different ways it can look. Um, mm-hmm. When I talked to you before, when I we were messaging, we were talking about different things we could talk about. And one thing you said is identity. It was just the word identity. So what, it, what were you thinking of there? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, I think identity is a tricky thing for me, um, I think um, both in the music community and just day-to-day life within my family. Um, So I don't even know where to start with that one. And especially like in the times currently and how that's maybe exploding our our feelings of identity even more so now. Um, You know, I play experimental shows and mostly usually the only, one of the only women there Mm -hmm. um so that's i feel like identity has lately made me feel very isolated that's where i was kind of going with that one in both in both in shows and performances and um identity as like a lebanese woman um as a first generation immigrant as like you know just filling out the census and not seeing your race on there (laughs) um as like being othered, but then also like when it's comfortable making you a part of a group 
that you don't necessarily identify with. Um, and like, I don't know, I don't have many Lebanese friends in Chicago, so I've felt kind of isolated in that way. Mm -hmm. um, man, so many things, so many things with identity and like just where and and how does it play into the craft and the art that I'm making? How does it play and like just re it's kind of just revealing itself even more so now as I get older. I think that when I was younger, it was more like, what am I, mom? Like, my, you know, how do I fill out this form? Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. People don't like, I want to say I often get passed as like, oh, whatever. Even, even like people close to me may not remember like, oh, she's a minority. Like, and things can be said or done. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I think that's a big part of like not having a community here. And I'm working on that. I'm like, so that's something I've identified recently where I'm like, I need more Arab friends. Like I need uh -huh. an Arab friend like around. So yeah. I feel so disconnected and I could talk to someone like that with these problems. And even like in therapy, I've had issues, I think having primarily white female therapists no offense you know but like yeah. I'm like I can't connect so lately I'll say I saw, I saw Michaela in here I don't know if she's still in here but like I've talked to her a lot about this where she's um half Filipino and um we're just like what is it like being this um othered person in our communities and um how are we connecting so she's been great and talking to me about it and is like diving into her own art about it um, yeah. and like recently I did an interview where I'm like I don't know that I put this in my art like so much of my music I make for the sake of music and like mm -hmm. serves me directly mm -hmm. um, and now I'm like when somebody says do you see this in your art I'm like not really except for the fact that it's coming out of me and it's always right. exist but right. yeah yeah so that's a question I'm playing with lately you said that exploring, reflecting on. Yeah. You said that it's something that is, you know, becoming something you're thinking about more as you get older. What do you think it is about getting older that's giving rise to kind of that exploration? Um, I think being more comfortable with myself as I get uh -huh. older. I think like mm -hmm. as a younger person and I'm starting to see this a little bit in my nephew too who's seven but like you just want to be like your friends and everybody else and you kind of will do whatever it is to assimilate even if like when you go home your family's talking in a different language or eating different food when you go to yeah. school so like I only speak English I'm gonna eat a bologna sandwich <laughs> like yeah. mom give me the lunchables <laughs> but uh yeah that wasn't like the reality it was like my mom's rolling me a pita bread sandwich to bring to school yeah <laughs> um, but i don't know i think like as i get older i'm like ex more accepting of like no dude this is who you are um and I, it took like i've had moments of that i think maybe when i was 16 plus like 16 years old i remember doing a diversity camp um yeah. and it was more to um, instill diversity in schools that didn't have it, but I, mm -hmm. our school was confused and sent us to be a part of it, even though it was the most diverse high school in the U.S. at the time. 
Um, and we were all like, what? we're all diverse. And then I remember a counselor being like, you know, I've never accepted the fact that I was half Mexican and I always wanted to be like white on my forms and all of this, but now I'm realizing this is something to celebrate. And that was like the moment <laughs> I remember when I was 16 being like, oh, like it's okay to be different and it's actually cool. And yeah. so now as I get older and older, it's more and more in my face and like, okay. yeah, I don't know. But if that answers it. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, thank you for your thoughts. What am I answering? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, I don't know if you're comfortable talking anymore about this, but given that this is like a mental health to, to a degree based show, um, I'm curious about, um, you said you go to therapy, you know, how have you found part of, part of as a therapist, I want to like normalize it more. Do I still get plenty of clients who feel like it's really stigmatized or it was really hard for them to get going. It's their first time because they oh, feel like there's gotta be. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. especially as couples, I feel like couples think that there has to be real something really, really wrong with their relationship before they go to therapy. And Oh yeah. I go to couples therapy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we do too from time to time. Um, so, and, and yeah, and, and I, so part of like what I, I want to do as a therapist is normalize therapy and, and be like, it, it's not necessarily a, when things are horrible, sometimes it's that, that, but um, I guess I'm just curious if you're comfortable sharing like your relationship with therapy. Oh yeah. Um, I have gone on and off to therapy since like I was 23, I think. Yeah, since I was 23, I'm 33. So for the past 10 years. Uh -huh. um, and I started going, and I, I will say like my family, I think has always thought of therapy as being stigmatized and something uh -huh. like, we don't do that in our culture. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You talk to your mom if you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did it um, anyway, and I was secretive about it, actually, when I first started going. Um, and it was because I just was having a lot of anxiety and was in a funky relationship. And um, I don't know. And then I stopped because I thought, like, the, the work we were doing, my therapist actually was like, you're good. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like we had talked about like I had not really understood anything about anxiety, except that I was having panic attacks from time to time. And, you know, once you like, there's, I would, I don't know how you feel about it as a therapist, but like, I would hope that your therapist is like, here are the tools, you don't have to be a client forever. Um, mm -hmm. Unless you want to be. But um, I I think I did, I was able to implement like the things we were working on and then took a break for like a year or two mm -hmm. um, and then caught myself in another situation. So it does, it was kind of like when it, when things were exploding is kind of when I've always yes. gone. <laughs> and then I was like, it's time. I know I need to go again, you know? So yeah. I, I had to find another therapist, I think, cause mine, it was something weird about like, oh, maybe my insurance changed. Yeah. Um, so that sucked because I felt like, oh, crap, now I have to start all over. Start over, yeah. And then that was great, too. But then I also think use it when it's good for you, too, because I, I got to a point where I thought too much talk therapy was actually 
making me dwell more on situations that maybe I had already reflected on and had yeah. dealt with. But then <laughs> when it was time for the weekly session, I had to like resurface it. And I was like, God damn it. Like this is just yeah. bringing back some shit that I thought I was done with. Um, and then I realized a lot of like, I wanted to spend that time that the positive thing was I knew I was using like it was built in time that I knew was going to be used for myself. Uh -huh. Maybe I wasn't always doing that with my schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I told myself if I'm not going to do individual therapy anymore, then I needed to use that time for exercise because I knew that getting kind of more into my body was helping me. And mm -hmm. that was what I felt like I needed. So I started doing that and that helped. Um, and then, and now I'm in couples therapy when I mm -hmm. feel like it because I'm in, I'm engaged and I think it's really awesome to like ask some deep questions that maybe can be helpful with a facilitator. And I encourage yeah. people to do that. I don't know. I do. Yeah, I do too. Um, well, you know, it's something that clearly you've gained something from the experiences. You keep going back. Um, what, what have you gotten out of therapy? Do you think? I think we don't learn a lot of the things you learn in therapy. So like communication skills, like uh -huh. who's sitting down with you and saying, Hey, this is how you validate somebody. <laughs> you know, or uh -huh. like, These are the important ways to listen to someone. And this is how you can show them you're listening. Um, or, you know, just like there are actually, there are actual concrete things that I think can help you be um, a better person that, uh, sometimes only comes through therapy, at least for me, I'm like, wow, I wish I had learned this a long time ago, or like how to be in relationships that are more mindful and um, collaborative. And I don't know, and like to slow down and like, be reflective, like those are not I mean, as a teacher, I'll say those are not tools that we're taught to teach even yeah. I think they should be. So those are things I like to talk about in school too, where it's like, hey, here's how to deal with the anger right now or you know. yeah right yeah and I don't think I mean unless you're you have amazing parents that probably went to therapy like they're maybe not the ones teaching you that stuff either I mean I think by example you see what their relationship looks like or doesn't look like or whatever and you kind of think that that's sure. what relationships are because you grow yeah. up and that's what you see but then sometimes those are good models and sometimes they're not so good models and, yeah. um, you don't always know because that's your world do you feel like your anxiety is better managed these days? Oh, yeah. I mean, just even recognizing it, you know, uh -huh. versus it being like so much, I don't know if we can, I'll talk a little bit about anxiety, but like so much, at least in the beginning, it's just like this physical thing that you're like, what, I'm dying. Like, what is happening to uh -huh. me right now? Um, and I remember the very first years of doing therapy was like, well, here are the like stats, statistics about like how fast your heart rate can actually go before you die. And like, things like that. Yeah. It was reassuring. Learning, like the physical things that happen to you and like, um, you know, instead of it being such a mystery, like those yeah. are, yeah, people don't talk about that stuff. <laughs> Is there anything else besides kind of knowing just a little bit more about, the physical side of it that has helped you when you do feel anxious? The physical side of it is what causes the majority, I think, of the spiraling, right? Um, for me, anyway. 
And I, I have like a lot of anxiety with anticipation and just like be, the moments between things or like mm-hmm. changes. So like, I don't know, maybe it's helps through therapy to question like, what are the things that make me anxious versus it just being this living thing that's a, a part of me that's uncontrolled or mm-hmm. uh, unknown. Yeah. So, but I don't know, those are positives of figuring out, you know, instead of just li- living with something that feels horrible. Um, yes. Or well, uncontrollable. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, like all, I'm, I'm so pro therapy. I just hope everybody seeks it out and yeah. Yeah, I, that's something that I specialize in helping people with. And I'm, I have anxiety too. And I do think that the more insight you have on what's behind the anxiety, both cognitively and physically, mm-hmm. the more just awareness you have about what's going on. And you can feel like you have more intention behind what you're going to do with it or why it's happening. It can be yeah. immensely helpful. Um, let me... And like physical skills to make you get through it too. You know, breathing techniques. and Right. Right. It's like, because you can rationalize that all you want um, and still be trapped in it. Yeah. And be like, oh, well, but I know like, the things that are supposed to help me. I know the physicalities and I know why this is happening to me. I've made all these like thoughts in therapy, but you'll still go there. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm super rational now. I'm like, I can intellectualize all of this. Why is this still happening? And then it's yeah. not. Enough. I'm like, well, shut up and just do the breathing because like, without a doubt, that works. Yes, totally. Sometimes it's just hard. The thoughts feel very sticky and you can't get rid of them. And, um, you know, for panic attacks, just for anybody who's watching, you know, there, it is a cycle between the body sensations, um, you know, the tension and heart racing and feeling worrying you're going to die and just horrible. And then the thoughts come and then it just becomes a vicious cycle. So the intervention point is at the body or you try to calm down the body first by doing some deep breathing or muscle relaxation. And I, I always think that guided relaxation can be helpful because sometimes when you're in the middle of anxiety, it's hard to remind yourself to do all those things. So having a voice telling you to like take a breath. Yes. I definitely need it with guided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for (laughs) What? I said insight timer all the way. Um, Thank you for sharing about your anxiety and your experience with therapy. I know that that is a personal thing, but I think it's nice for people to hear about it. Yeah, me too. Um, is there, let's see. Oh, I want to, I mean, I just want to ask you about like, what, what is going on with your music? You released an album. What's the name of the album that you released this year? Aqueous. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so that's out. I I don't know how it's doing. <laughs> you don't know how it's doing? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I've, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of really positive press, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Um, but as I have, I don't know, with sales, I don't, I have no idea. Um, I guess I could look on Spotify and be like, oh, yes, it's had this many streams. But like, I don't know. I, I wish I could like sell some. So the way the selling of the vinyl goes, at least, is I have a bunch that I was hoping to sell at shows. Yeah. Uh, I think I have like 100 in my house. Huh? And like, these are just sitting here. I don't know when I'll ever sell them. I also like. I could like advertise being like, Hey, I have some to sell, but otherwise if you're buying on Bandcamp or from the stores, that's going um, directly from the label, mm-hmm. which I love, that's like, you know, their investment I want to support, like mm-hmm. getting that out of the warehouse. Um, but as far as 
Yeah. Why don't I sell them myself? Because I don't mail. I don't have mailers for records. So I haven't really advertised being like, okay, buy it directly from me. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I don't really know how they're doing. But well, so maybe people are buying them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you'll sell a couple of, you'll have to go get some mailers after this interview, I hope. Um, Okay. And so what is your, are you feeling creative these days? Are you working on any music? Uh, that's a great question. Well, yeah, I, I, so I told you I was scoring a documentary. I finished that in July and like since then I've kind of been in a slump with wanting to play music because that was felt as much as I did enjoy it. It was, on a timeline and felt so much like work uh -huh. um, that I kind of was like, I don't want to play music right now. I don't mm -hmm. want to write music because I don't want it to feel like a chore, but I do wholeheartedly think people should make themselves do it all the time, even when they're in the slump. So I'm not taking my own advice. Um, Why do you think people should do that? Well, because you just get through it. Like time goes on. And even if you don't think things are changing, um, they always are, I think, anyway. I, mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be the same thing as yesterday. And even if it takes, like, months to see the creative change, I think it does happen. Um, so you're kind of giving an opportunity for that change to happen by producing? Yeah, just by doing it all the time. I think, like, the more, I don't know, I get worried, at least, by saying the more time away from it, like, the easier it is to be away from it. So... Uh, and like, also, I think the hardest part about creating is getting yourself to start. But I think, yeah. I don't know, for myself, and I'm pretty sure most people, once they start doing it, they enjoy it, but enjoy creating. Yeah. So it's kind of the thing. <laughs> I, like I want out. to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly the same. So yeah. now I've scheduled making sure I exercise every day, but like, uh. I haven't done that with my music recently. Is that normally how normally you do with your music? There's yeah, normally I do. a set time. Okay. How long, oh, yeah. how long do you try when you're in that groove? How long do you try to work each day on some music? So my schedule normally, and I think, you know, the amount of time changes every day, but I do like routine because mm -hmm. it's my anxiety. So uh -huh. generally wake up, um, go on a walk with the dog, come back, make breakfast or exercise. The, those could change either exercise first and then eat or eat and then exercise. Um, and then usually do school stuff mm -hmm. and then dinner rolls around. And then usually in the evening is when I work on music creatively mm -hmm. and then like watch an episode of Seinfeld and go to sleep. Okay. And in okay. between that, like, talk to people, <laughs> I think. I'm also social. <laughs> and I also have a fiance, and I interact with him all in between that, too. How are you feeling about, to kind of bring it full circle, I mean, how are you feeling about this new year of school? Yes. How am I feeling? Remote learning. I mean, I'm so relieved that we are doing remote learning. I don't uh -huh. think... People really know what it's like to be in a school building unless you are in a school building. Like, okay. there are hundreds of people at our school. They're also 
people that teach at multiple institutions. So in the arts, most of all of our teachers are part-time. So our arts faculty are also teaching at different universities or different art yeah. schools um, or like just odd jobs. Um, so we're definitely all coming from different places. Um, and the students live from all over the city. Mm -hmm. They're coming from everywhere. Like it's just, yeah. and they all touch each other. Like yeah. children like to lay on top of each other. They like <laughs> yeah. to jump on each other. They like, people don't realize when they're like, but they need to socialize. It's like, they're not going to socialize at school. At least we hope they're not like if right. we went back to the school setting. So that seemed really difficult to try to pull off. Yeah. Um, social distancing. And plus with singing, you can't sing right now. That's right. a huge spreader. Like, so that was a nightmare trying to be like, can they hum? Like just being creative. <laughs> like what, how would I lead a rehearsal? Like, I'll play the piano. They'll all have their masks on and they'll just listen to me. Versus like, yeah, at least at home, like, I don't know if people have envisioned the way remote learning looks for music, but it's weird because you can't do it in real time. There's latency. Yeah. So the way I lead, at least any vocal classes are, I have all the students mute, but at least they can sing in their home. Mm -hmm. While I'm leading, like, let's say I'm doing warm-ups with them. Like, I'm singing along, and they can be singing to whatever uh -huh. they're hearing. The only trouble with that, of course, I can't give them direct feedback because right. I'm not hearing them. But I've been teaching for so long, I can assume what they need to hear. You know, I'm like, drop your jaw, lower breath, like, resonance for it, you know. So all the things uh -huh. that are routine to say to them, that's still happening. So they're still getting that instruction and, you know, hearing the same thing every time so they – beginning to learn it and then um you know just I, I the worst part about it is not being around them but that's just what we're dealing with right yeah. now and like singing together and it sucks I told you earlier I like cried when I saw a choir yeah watching shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like, we're never gonna sing together again um so I don't know I hope that happens soon because People that do it love it. You know, we love to sing together. That's why we do it. It's not for the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for the money. Um, where can people where can people find your music? You can find my music everywhere on all streaming services. Mm -hmm. Search Pal Sounds, <laughs> um, and then my Bandcamp is the best place to purchase it. Okay. Okay. Is there any Bandcamp.com? I think is the website. I mean, okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the band campsite with Tal sounds in it. <laughs> yeah. If most people, I think, can get there. Um, is there anything that you wanted to, you know, be sure to say or add before we close out? No, this is really sweet. Thank you for doing this with people and thinking about us. Thank you for being on it. Um, it was really mm -hmm. nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. All right. Well, right. I'm going to, I'm going to, bye. I'm going to exit out. Bye. <laughs> so that was Natalie Shammy, Tal Sounds. Um, thank you guys for watching. If you missed any of it, it's going to be um, on my IGTV and then it's going to be in podcast form, Music Therapy with Jessica Risker. You can find that um, on Spotify, on iTunes, I think pretty much anywhere there's podcasts, you can find it. Um, and on YouTube, I put them on YouTube too. I'm going to finish off with a song. This is a song I wrote in March. 
And I'll be taking a break. Sorry, I'll be taking a break next week. Um, but I'll be back the following with Sarah Jane Cullen of Desert Liminal and some more great guests coming up um, every Saturday. This song is called I Miss You My Friends. I miss you my friends but it's not the end for sticking around. I'm Jessica Risker. You can learn more about me at jessicarisker.com. Um, be back in a couple weeks with Sarah Jane Quillen. Hope you guys are doing well. Get outside today. Talk to somebody and I miss you and uh, see you soon. <laughs>